Who is your dream co-founder? And what qualities should you be looking for in the person that's going to be on this incredible rollercoaster ride that is starting a company? And also, how do you find that person? Well, luckily this week, I have an expert in just that. Her name is Naima Kamara, and she's the founder of Ownership. She has a wealth of experience working with accelerators and founders, helping people find ideas, raise money, split equity. She's incredible. And she's really articulate and has some really great wisdom on these particular subjects. So I really hope you listen hard to this show and take this wisdom away with you. If I'm starting a business for the first time and um, I'm, a, I'm a solo founder, like I don't have all the skills necessary to, to mm. run this business. And so I need to go and get myself a co-founder. But before I start looking for them or trying to figure out where I'm going to go, like what should I even be looking for in the first place when I'm looking for a co-founder? Because it's not like I'm looking for a friend. Well, maybe I am. But like what are the kind of qualities? And because you're hyper experienced in this space, what should I be looking for? Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's a really t- difficult question because you're bringing someone on to execute your vision that you've determined, or maybe you've got an idea that's not fully fleshed out, and you want someone to come on board on board and be as enthusiastic as you. Um, and you're going to be spending potentially eight to twelve hours a day with this person, so it's, it is a really important relationship. But for me, I think the the main, the most important thing is trust. Um, so is this person going to be honest with you? Are you going to be able to have a sounding board where you feel like your ideas are being heard and theirs are as well? Um, I think if you don't have trust in the founding team, then I, do, I think it's very difficult to get very far. Um, the next thing that's really important is having a united goal. So if you want to build the next unicorn and you want to do it in three to five years and your co-founder wants to build a lifestyle business, those aren't going to align. So those the things that you want to get out of the business need to be aligned. And then the thing you alluded to as well is having those complementary skills. So if you're a, if you're product focused and commercial focused then you want someone who's technical who can come and bring that missing piece um obviously in the early days you're going to be doing everything and anything you can to get your business to the next level but those are the three kind of components i think that really you you need you absolutely need to to find in a co-founder i love that so how do you have that discussion so what's like so if i'm if i've just i mean if I've just met someone and we're just having, I'm getting really excited about this, like it's really easy to get carried away with this. And, you know, like I'm, we're both British. And so that means we agree with people constantly about everything without actually saying how we feel. How would you, how would you have that conversation? Like how would you, or like, and also at what stage should I be having this conversation? Because the trust thing's interesting um, because trust is, is earned, isn't it? Like you can't, like when you meet someone for the first time, you can't be like, oh, I, you know, I really trust that person. You might have that, you know, if they're if they're a doctor or or or, or, a, or a lawyer or something, maybe. But you wouldn't necessarily have that necessarily when you met someone for the first time. So it's quite hard to to give that that element. But in terms of like that goal setting, how do you have that conversation? And is there a space for compromise? Yeah, there, there has to be. You have to compromise in this. Um and also your vision is going to be changing based on new information all the time. So mm. trust is what you're working towards, but it's honesty and transparency at the beginning. So if you say, I want to build a unicorn in the next five years, and someone says, oh, that's I don't think I can see myself raising every 18 months. This is kind of a crazy roller coaster. That's not for me. Then you already know that that's not aligned 
Um, if it's if it's close enough and someone's saying I want to build a business and have hundreds of people but I'm not really sure about aiming that high yet then that could be somewhere where you can compromise um, but I think it's honesty and transparency at the start that then get you towards towards um, towards being to, towards trusting each other but we always say with the with the founders who use our product that there needs to be a trial period. Uh, and this is for you as the individual who's bringing someone on, but also for the person to test if they like your business, because the way you sell it externally might not actually be the way that you're running things. So there needs to be on both ends this this trial period of a month or three months, depending on how much time you have. I love that. Okay, and that's, I mean, it's good having that trial is difficult, but I get it. I get it. It's, it's important, right? You know, you've got you've to do that. And it's the same with an employee. Like you have a, you have a, a, a probation period, yet with a founder, you know, people don't do that. And yet the stakes are higher. So yeah, mm. yeah, absolutely. That makes perfect sense. So look, when I, when I started my business, I, um, I made what famously the, the worst mistake you can always make, which was I started a business with my friend. Um, <laughs> but, but actually, I think you know, people have different, different views on that. But what's your view on starting a business with a friend? Because you, obviously you see this a lot what's your experience of it and what would your advice be if someone does want to start a business with their friend yeah i think it really depends on on the personality so like you said it's easy when you're first starting out and if you're british as well to be in that in a polite mode and want to not people please but you don't want to say no in a really direct way and i think as soon as you add friends into the mix you have this other element where you don't want your friendship to to disappear so you're probably not going to be as transparent if you're not happy about their work as you would with someone who's an, an outsider. So it, it depends. If you can still be direct with friends, then I think it can work. But it is it is a lot trickier. And for me, um, I've I think past co-workers is the best sweet spot because those are people who you're friends because you worked in a similar culture. So you have a similar standard of work. You really um enjoy similar types of organization and there's less question marks but then you could be friends based on years of working together as well but a friend from school or from university is a bit more difficult um I think family might be easier actually and there are quite a few um family-led teams so I don't know if you know the the two twins of Marshmallow who are this new and not new but they're an insurtech unicorn now yeah and yeah, they're, they're brothers, they're twins. So it could be that they can be more transparent because they have that sibling relationship. I like that a lot. I think I can really resonate with it. I think the, um, if I think about my mates, like a lot of my mates I met either at school or like playing rugby or whatever, that doesn't mean that they're going to make a great co-founder, yeah. you know, because of that. I don't know how they work. And most of the time you haven't had the experience of what they're like in a working environment. You might know what university they went to. You might know what grades they've got or whatever, but you, or you might know how they behave in a, in a sports situation. But that doesn't mean that's going to translate to this particular environment. Mm. And I guess with the family thing, the family thing's fascinating for me because family isn't discretionary. At any point, I can break it off with my mates and just go to them and never see them again. But I can't yeah. do that with your family. So your tolerance level is much higher, right? So you, know, you can mm. scream at your siblings and then still be best mates the following day. So I absolutely get that. Um, and I think it's really profound what you say about doing it with a friend that's a co-worker when you, you know, I think to anyone who looks at their career 
there'll be people that they enjoy working with but also have a positive working relationship with and so it just makes sense that you're just going through that evolution to the next stage of that so that leads me on to my next question where is the best place to find a co-founder if you Mm. are like because if you're super privileged and you've worked at an amazing startup already where people have that vibe where they've got a really good um like growth mindset or whatever that's great you might have all those colleagues there but if you've worked a quite a sleepy business you know where yeah. that's not the case and you really want to go out there and sort of better yourself um and um you want to go and start something afresh and change your life you may not have that network of people you may not mm. have those co-founder people within that business where do you go to find these people yeah it's it's hard i think the best way, so the best way, obviously, is someone you've worked with in the past. But if you don't have that, then I think it's about you sharing your opinion in the right forum. So whether that's LinkedIn or Twitter, and either sharing articles you're writing or sharing what you're doing with the business, how many users you have, what your vision is, and being really transparent about where you want to go. And the people will come to you who are interested. Um, so either people who are liking your stuff, you're resharing, and then you can then go and and speak to them on an individual basis. When it came to us hiring our third co-founder, when we um, we had a trial period with him, and he came at a really crucial point where he was delivering the helping us to to launch our product, um, and it was great because it was someone we'd worked with before in the past, but um, we we still we still managed to have that open dialogue and um, and navigate what we were trying to to work work through. I think now it's hard because I I can't I can't relate to finding someone from scratch. But what I say to to teams who are asking me is to go on LinkedIn, go on Twitter, use platforms like Bumble Biz, use pl- platforms like YC co-founder matching platform, and at first have them as an advisor. Um, and and then it can organically flow into a co-founder. The one thing I'd say is not to give that co-founder title too soon um, because it is you've potentially been working on this for months or a year. And so you do need to make sure that you're making the right decision and that both parties are are kind of testing the water with each other. Um, so I would say use use the platforms where you're most visible to get your word out there and and often I'll say to founders as well to create um, a kind of wish list of what they're exactly looking for um, in a job description and then to to research that way I would love to use notion for things like that so for our advisors I we have a notion list of all the the dream candidates and then slowly that list gets whittled down to people who, who are more accessible, who we might know or someone who can introduce us to. And I think asking others to introduce you is a really good way as well. If you don't know the right person, asking someone, who should I be speaking with at this point? Who is who who would be interested in it? I love that. It's really practical and actually super helpful. Like, Thank you so much. That's a great response. <laughs> in the current climate, marketing is hard. But do you know what isn't hard? making sure you never miss an episode of your favourite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalogue of amazing episodes. If you do that, please leave us a review. It would mean so much. So um, the... um, um 
So that kind of leads on to the next bit that I wanted to talk to you about. Now, at the very beginning, the truth is, like a lot of founders, they're not working for money because you don't have it, right? At the very yeah. beginning, yeah, that's the one commodity you don't have as a, as a business, and that's cash, okay? So there's other ways of you know, paying people. And of course, equity is, is one of those. And for those people who are listening, you aren't sure what equity is. Equity is just ownership within a business, okay? Mm-hmm. So it's only a part of the business. Now, you've made an interesting transition. You're building a business now, if I'm understood it correctly, which helps people to pay people with equity, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. exactly. So, so with that, talk to me about, there's a few things that we get asked a lot on this show, is how do you figure out the value of equity that you should be getting if you're working for someone? Because mm. I get it sometimes when people come to me and they'll be like, um, I had this guy for ages used to you know, badger me on LinkedIn. He'd be like, Tom, I'm going to come and 10x your business in return for 25% of your business. And I'm like, fuck off. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? But you, know, you get kind of that stuff all the time. You'd be like, yeah, I want to come as an advisor and I want 3% of your business. 3% of my business as an advisor. Are you crazy? Like, you yeah. know, I'm not going to give you that. But like, but then I don't really know how I would calculate it, you know. So I'm, I'd be fascinated to hear from you because I think it's a problem that a lot of founders have is not really figuring out how do I equate the value of what their time is and I should pay them this. And then from the other side, if I'm a co-founder, how do I make sure that I'm getting the right amount of value back for the work that I do? Yeah, no, it's it's really interesting. And it's it's the kind of challenge that is equity isn't a problem until it is and then once it is it becomes really difficult to to get yourself out of it um and it seems too premature when you're brainstorming ideas and bouncing ideas off of each other to have that ownership conversation but it needs to happen early on and for a long time like you said equity was fixed so someone would come on and they'd get 3% for their work or in, in a co-founding team, you divide your equity 33, 33, 33. And that is now changing. People are realizing that the startup, um, the early stage startup life cycle is so fragile and chaotic and things change all the time. And so we're seeing more and more teams using dynamic equity. And so this is where um, they log their hours and based on their salary, um, they then get an ownership split based on the hours that they've worked. So um, we've built an app called Ownership, which is about um, founders logging their hours and then we automate that process for them. And the way the reason that that it's working well for teams now and why they're rejecting fixed equity is because it doesn't take into consideration all the nuances so if we were to start a business tomorrow and you suddenly got a full-time job a few weeks later and we'd negotiated 50 50 you would still own 50 percent, even if you were still working whereas even 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 though you weren't working for the business anymore whereas with a dynamic split um, you would slowly, slowly get diluted as more people join the team. And so it protects the founding team who who are potentially, you know, working hours on this. And then it also, it's, it's a lot more flexible for founders. Um, and I think giving away 3% to someone and them saying they're going to 10x growth your business, I would always say that you you say to them, okay, um, how about in a month's time, if you've if you've if you've fulfilled the milestones that you set out, you get the percentage. That's what we usually say. We tell our our, our 
teams to have an agreement in place where they say, after achieving this milestone, you get 1%. After achieving this one, you get this amount. Um, and I think it's it's a much, it's a way that makes more sense to work in the early days. I think that's great. I totally buy into that. So um, I've got three questions for you, actually, um, uh, before we wrap up, because first of all, um, you're, you're so articulate. You answer the questions exceptionally well with real value. Oh, so uh, thank you so much for not being a waffler. Okay, so it's very good. When I meet a co-founder, when I find someone that I, I, I think that I want to work with, what are the three questions that I absolutely have to ask that co-founder to ensure that we have a sustainable relationship? Yeah, so three questions to ask. So I think number one, you want to say, what motivates you when you're working towards a project? Because that will tell you um, how you want to reward them with equity. Are they someone who is more motivated by a commission structure? Do they want to get bonuses every time they hit a milestone? Or do they want to be working away day in, day out and doing that daily grind and getting rewarded for the hours they put in? Um, are they just someone where they need to have a clear task and they get on with it and they, they know the reward will come? So I think that's really important to know. The second one is, um, what is the goal for the future of this organization? Where do you want us to be in a year's time? Because any longer is, is too far in the future. Things change so much. But you need to understand whether they want to, to join you for it to be a fast growing business or um, a kind of high impact. And, and you need to understand what their objectives are. And then I think a really big one is what what I find really important to anyone who's contributing to ownership is um, are they happy to get to get stuck in with uh, the random tasks that come up day to day in a startup because there's going to be moments where you're not an accountant but you need to understand how SEIS is going to work or you need to understand how to do your VAT return or how to submit a grant or there's just such a wide range of stuff and no one is a specialist. So at the beginning, I think it's important to have people who, who, are, who are willing to try out different things and, and to get stuck in where it might not be their expertise, but they can go out and find out for you. Nice. I think that's really good. Thank you so much. Good response. Okay. So next question. If I am one of the founding employees, so why that? I mean, you know, you're there in the first year, but you're not a founder. You're super early stage. It's only like, you know, three or four of you in the business. There's two founders who've been there from day one. They've built it and they're now starting to bring on a team. And of course, at that stage, you should be given equity because you're going to be part of this journey and it's success. Mm -hmm. But how do you approach that discussion? And what are the questions? Or yeah, how would you approach that discussion and advise people to do it? So the first thing I want to know is how have you been keeping track of your equity and contribution so far? Um, and who is who is within the cap table now? So you can ask a founding, if you're going to be part of a founding team, you need to understand how the ownership split is done because um, that can tell you a lot about the team dynamics. Um, if one person is on 95% and the other co-founder is on 5% and you're potentially getting part of an option pool, that will tell you that um, you know there's not really an equitable or democratic way of running things because that mm. person with 95% ultimately they have a lot of the control in the business so you need to understand who else is on the cap table you also need to understand if there are any if there have been any challenges with other co-founders in the past 
with um, with equity. And then you need to ask whether the amount of equity you're getting is going to be impacted by the output of your work. So this is why um, I always advocate for dynamic equity, because it takes into consideration the amount of hours you're putting in, what you're achieving, and, and you're rewarded as a result. Um, or you need to find out, is it going to be fixed? Are you getting 10% and that's it until the next round? Um, those are the types of things that you should be able to ask. And I think someone's response will tell you a lot about the type of organization they're running, because if if they're able to be transparent and say, honestly, we haven't thought about it, I'd be open to looking at these these types of tools or this way of working, um, then that's someone who is who would be you know more open to, to discussing that with you. But if someone says, no, this is 2% and that's all you're ever getting and we can't discuss it, then that tells you a lot about the way that they want to run the business and how secretive they might be in the future. I think equity can tell you a lot about the founders. Yeah, 100%. All right. But I agree with you. Good answer. Okay, last question. Um, we're doing this thing on the show now where we talk about the startup sin bin. So something that we hate about the startup community that just needs to just be chucked in the bin and got rid of. Um, my particular one is, actually, what is mine? I had one the other day. Mine is um, toxic positivity. And the reason for that mm -hmm. is because I am toxically positive. And so it's just self-awareness that I need to be a different person. Um, so that's why I'm <laughs> trying to get rid of it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, what, is, what would you put in the startups in bin? Yeah, toxic positivity is interesting because it's true. I think when you go onto Twitter and LinkedIn, you think I need to only share the wins. But there are loads of, of difficult parts and sad parts of running a business yeah. that people need to share more. I think from my perspective, it's um, the hustle culture. I think right now we're in a moment where we've almost commoditized the hustle and um, how much work you look like you're doing seems to be a whole other job in itself. So how well you're performing in terms of sharing what you're doing and the number of hours you're working. And I think there 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 needs to be a balance between building a successful business and it being a priority and you bringing yourself to work so that you're you're trying to give your best but then also finding that time to rest and recharge and having other interests but i think too often on twitter and linkedin we really see at the moment it seems like we're only seeing people who are working 16 hours and and when they're saying i got here because I put in the hours and I think there needs to be, we need to start showing a more balanced view of, of, um, yeah. And I say that because I, I am a bit of a workaholic and I'm trying to create better boundaries with my work, but I think it's something that's really important because otherwise we're deterring people who potentially would have great ideas and great businesses, but they don't want to get involved because they don't want their startup to be the only thing in their life. And I think it would be a shame to, to miss out on that because now we have a chance to completely recreate what it means to be a business owner and that's already happening. So um, that's hustle culture needs to go, I think. I like that. Great. Hey, look, this has been great. So much information, so many, like your responses are great and so much great stuff for the community. And thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much.